Blog Talk Radio. All right, hockey fans, welcome once again to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I am Mark Warner. I'm in Las Vegas. We're with Chris Lisa. He's on Long Island. Um, for all of our Canadian listeners out there, we lost a legend this week. Um, everyone who listens to the show knows I'm a big Rush fan. You look at our Twitter feed. I got a lot of comments on there about Rush. I When I was a kid, I had a dog named Getty Lee. They're the reason I started playing bass and playing music myself, along with thousands of other people. Um, condolences to the Peart family and the Rush family. Uh, it was a tough night for me last night. But you got to celebrate his life. He's the greatest drummer of rock history and the greatest lyricist in rock history. So, um, Neil Peart, thank you for your contribution to our planet. And the world is a little bit quieter today with your passing, sir. My very first concert was 1985, Nassau Coliseum. I believe it was the Grace Under Pressure Tour. And I saw Rush. I was, you know, I liked a lot of their songs. One of my friends was, uh, it was his favorite band. And uh, I was hooked. Uh, I saw them one other time after that. And ironically, my youngest nephew was, so let's fast forward now, uh, I guess almost 20 years later, give or take. Uh, I can't remember exactly. But let's say around 20 years, a little under 20 years. His very first concert was at the Barclay Center, and it was Rush. And uh, what I could say about Neil Peart is, you know, a lot of bands, you know, you think of the lead singer, you know, the lead, like, you know, you think of, like you too, you think of Bono, you think of the front the edge and guitar, the, yeah, the, the front guitar. Very rarely in a band per se, there's a, it's a short list of drummers that you know, and you wouldn't have to be, if you're a good music fan, but let's say not a big Rush fan, you know who Neil Peart was. And um, Absolutely. I was actually in the su- supermarket this morning waiting on the deli line perusing through the paper, and I saw it in the obituaries, had a big write-up on it. I had no idea that he was sick, as he was, and uh, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, wow. It it, did, it hit me from a music fan, perspe- per, uh, as a big music fan, and it also hit me personally, being that was my very first concert. So, um, you know, he's in a better place. No question about it. And uh, my first concert, 1984, Rush Signals uh, at the L.A. Forum. Um, and I was reading through some of the stuff yesterday. And their last concert in in 2015 was back at that L.A. Forum. Um, so, yeah, to say it hit me personally is an understatement. Um, I had a few glasses of whiskey in his honor last night. And uh picked up the bass and, and tried feebly to play along with all the, the old Rush songs that I used to know, like the back of my hand. And, and as the years passed, uh, my inadequacy as a bass player uh, was back in the forefront last night. But, um, yeah, it was, it was tough. Uh, he, very quiet, you know. Um, 
the Neil was always a very private person out of the, out of the three, he was the one who would, would step back and let um, Getty and Alex do most of the media hits and uh, certainly not his style to, uh, you know, publicize what he was going through. And uh, I think that makes it a little bit harder for the fans and the, to kind of be blindsided, I guess, if you will. But uh, I mean, I'm not criticizing anybody's decision like that. Um, certainly, certainly the friends and family knew, and uh, I hope he was in peace at the end, sir. That's uh, that's a tough way to go. You think of the big sound that Tim had, and it was just three people, and he was a big part of that, you know. So, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's scary, um, you know. Brain cancer, been dealing with it for three and a half years, and um, yeah, you know, uh, it's really scary. So, uh, uh, you know, I I recently, or not recently, but within the last few months, so that documentary they did on the last tour. And you got right. to see a little bit of him, uh, kind of, you know, how quiet guy was. I think he liked to ride the motorbike. And, yes, sir. And how, you know, le- the last number of years, how much pain he was in from, you know, being a drummer and what it took to, you know, go on tour and, you know, his right. body was really beat up. I'm not talking about this is pre the cancer. He must have got diagnosed now thinking back because, that tour, like you said, ended in 2015, and when I read yep. the paper today, he's been he's been dealing with brain cancer for three and a half years. So, probably shortly thereafter that tour, he found out he had it. Um, so, yeah, Godspeed to him, uh, everyone in Rush, and um, all the fans. Like I said, uh, you know that he uh, and like you said, uh, underrated in terms of not underrated, but uh, he wrote a lot of those great lyrics. He wrote all really of them. Think of. He oh, wrote he all wrote of them except "Tears" by uh, that was lyrics by Lifeson and Lee. Uh, every other song was written by Neil Peart. I didn't know that. Absolutely. Like I, said, been, I was a. I love their music. I wouldn't call myself a super fan, um, but I love their music. You know what I mean? From the uh, I do the early from the early days to the. To the the middle mid ground from signals to grace under pressure to even the stuff after that and um, uh, like I said always they always have a special place in my music heart being my first concert. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, to our Canadian listeners out there, you 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 know what you had with that band, and uh, they will be missed. Let's uh, let's move on to some hockey talk now. Uh, I just had to get that out of the way. It's very personal for me. I wanted to give a little bit of a tribute out to the the greatest drummer and lyricist in rock and roll history. Uh, but we have the Vegas Golden Knights are having a problem, sir. I don't know. I told my buddy at work this week something is broken with the Golden Knights. We're on the seven game homestand, and you can uh, you can say okay, they're uh, four and two entering tonight. Uh, they win tonight. They're five and two. Blah blah blah. But if you look, if you look inside the games, there's there's something going on, and I don't know what it is. It could be Marsha Shell missing off that first line, and and just a, a little piece of the chemistry missing um, from the team. Well, stop that. <laughs> um, but if you go back to the Anaheim game, that started the home the Arizona game that started the homestand. Um, that was the last time the Vegas Golden Knights scored the first goal in the game. 
Uh, Anaheim jumped to a one nothing lead. Philadelphia jumped to a one nothing lead. And then it kind of gets ugly. St. Louis, 3 nothing. Pittsburgh, 3 nothing. And then uh, the exclamation point on this issue, the L.A. Kings jump four goals allowed in the first period. The Golden Knights give up 18 shots against uh, Subban was in net. So there's – you give up 18 shots on goal on your home ice against the worst team in the division. And basically that's telling me you don't show up to play hockey. When when you go to the second period, they outshot the the Kings twenty four to three. And in the third period they outshot them twelve to two. So after the first period, uh do the math, they outshoot the, the Kings thirty six to five. That just tells and, and there's an interview with Pacioretty and it it's a rough interview if you're a Golden Knights fan. He says uh uh, we weren't ready to play. It takes everybody on the team to show up prepared, ready to play. And it seems it, uh, if you read between the lines on this, Chris, and I want to get your take on this in just a second, he says if everybody isn't on the same page and ready to start the game, this is the kind of thing that happens. Preparation for the game starts the day before. And if, if guys are doing things and not being prepared to take the ice, if one guy is late to his position on the ice, it breaks the whole thing down. Um, that's not the kind of language that we've heard out of this Golden Knights locker room. Everybody uh, enjoys each other, loves each other, plays for each other. And for those those kind of comments hit me upside the head. I, you, you hear that in other teams that are struggling. Um, it, not the Golden Knights in the middle. Really a 4-2 and two homestand. I mean, when it comes down to it right now, you're 4-2, and two, but that was – that was a debacle of a performance against the Kings. And, and those comments um, is a long interview, and I, I paraphrased a little bit of it, but um, that's not what we're used to hearing out of the Golden Knights locker room. And, and does that kind of a comment after the game, do we say there's something wrong in that room? Are we pointing fingers? Or is this just frustration after a loss and, and we're thinking he's he's speaking in generalities more so than than uh, specifically uh, targeting another player? Because the comment about um, preparation for the game starts the day before, it seems to me that, that, that he's addressing a certain situation that we're unaware of. I, I, how do those comments uh, sit with you? Well, a couple of things jump out at me, and uh, that one is a little, uh, and teams sometimes have this, go off to slow starts to start the game, or maybe the second period's their bugaboo, but it is strange to me, like, it's kind of like if you've gotten burned as a team, because the game starts and you're a slow starter. You know, after the second or third time that's, that's happened, or the third or fourth time during the season, you're like, hey, look, uh, we... You know, we've done this. Uh, it's put us in a bad position. It's resulted in losses. Uh, we got to fix this. Like, we, what do we have to do? And this goes into from preparation from the day before to today to come out of the gates uh, when they drop that puck. We're ready to roll. So it is. It is a bit alarming that you know, that especially they're in the streak with this. Uh, is it? Is it part of it mental or? Uh, it is a bit, I mean, to go to that extreme of, you know, a first period play with the numbers that you gave to what happened in the second and third period. Um, and the other thing is what 
we've talked about, but is really, I, I think, the players more so uh, in these last number of years, and this year probably more than ever, which is saying something. The parity in the sport is just ridiculous. Even the teams that aren't so good, that, like, for instance, we know the Kings, we know the Ducks, we know the Kettles are all going to be, you know, lottery teams. But yep. I tell you what, if you don't come out, and I don't care, other than probably one or two teams, uh, and maybe not, they, they're not exempt from it, if you don't come out ready to play, uh, they're going to beat you. Uh, because, you know, there's these teams, they're ready to play. I mean, they may not be as talented, and, and they're clearly not as talented, and they have the combination of older players, not a little past their prime or younger players trying to make him. Um, you know, I, I saw that this past week, but in recent times with the Islanders, you know, they played, uh, and then part of it's puck luck, part of it's how the Islanders play. They play a lot of close games. But, you know, they had to work really hard to beat the Devils. And not that they were perfect in that game, but uh, the effort was there and all that. But my point being is uh, the parity in the league now, if, if you don't come out and give a really good performance, I'm sorry, you're, no matter who you're going to play, more times, a lot more times than not, uh, you're going to have a loss on your hands. So uh, I know on an 82-game marathon schedule, and especially now, the amount of games everyone's playing between having the little Christmas break and then most teams have a break coming up after Martin Luther King for a number of days, so they're crunching a lot of games in for a lot of teams. But, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not ready to roll, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be issues. So I don't know how much that is going on with the Knights. Uh, like right. I said, this is this is more of a, a real weird phenomenon in terms of the the stark, uh, you know, terrible starts kind of thing. But it's very very hard to come back and uh, win a hockey game when you're down, uh, you know, three nothing to say the least. So uh, even though even if it's in the first period. Yeah, and I want to get. Uh... This is a veteran hockey club. This isn't uh, an expansion team. This isn't, you know, you know, a bunch of rookies and a bunch of fourth liners thrown together. This team's expected to compete for a Stanley Cup. Um, they're built that way. They're, they're pieces that have been put together. Um, the the third line, you know, Stastny, Stone, and Pacioretty. Um the first line, I mean, this is a veteran hockey club. There's no excuse coming into home games when you know you're, the, 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 everybody knows the Vegas Golden Knights crowd is, is one of the best in the league. Um, the energy that the crowd brings, <laughs> I hate to say it, it can't surpass the energy that the team brings. It should be the other way around, right? The, the crowd's energy feeds off the team, um, and then the team can feed back off the crowd energy. Um but if if the the crowd's energy is is head and shoulders above what the the Golden Knights are putting forward on the ice, I don't know if they're showing up thinking that uh, uh, we've been pretty good at home, or Dipsy do, or La Di Da. I don't know what's going on. Um, I know they got to fix it. I, I right now uh, we'll go into the standings here, Chris. Uh, we're looking at the standings. Hot topic this morning: the Golden Knights and Arizona are tied with equal games played atop the, the Pacific division standings. Um, there's the, the, the game in hand thing for Arizona that that's done 47 games each, 54 points each. Uh, 
the right behind them, Edmonton, one point back. They have the Oilers have a game in hand, so uh, the one point came in hand. Do the math; we know what that means. And then Calgary also at 53, tied with Edmonton with a game in hand. Uh, Vancouver, 50 points. Two, three games. They're at 44 games played. Three games in hand. So if Edmonton, Calgary, or Vancouver win their games in hand, they are, you know, mathematically will uh, have more points than the Golden Knights will. Uh, they're, uh, they, after today, they, they have uh, – the <clears throat> excuse me they have the start of the four game road trip buffalo ottawa montreal two gate two two days off after the montreal game and then they finish that in boston um and then the all-star weekend and then their bye week so that we, we won't see the golden knights until the 31st of january this this game tonight i think is very important for the the rest of the season, getting um, getting on a winning track, coming out with a fast start, uh, setting the tone for the road trip. Uh, I mean, if you come out with energy, this team should beat Buffalo and Ottawa, and should be at least very competitive against Montreal. Boston's going to be another another matter, but this is this is something that needs to get fixed and needs to get fixed tonight. And they have a tough game. Uh, they're playing a red hot team tonight. And the Blue Jackets have been red hot right for the last for, for the last month. I mean, they just don't really lose that much. Some ridiculous streak of a fifth. I heard fifteen in a row with a point or something like that. Uh, that sounds uh, about right. Yeah, silly time in, in Columbus, and we'll get to them in our around the league segment later on. Um, as a preview for tonight's game. I don't know what's going on in Columbus, but something's going on. Let me, uh, let me bring in our guest today. Uh, Russ Cohen is the host of and owner at sportsology.com. He's also an accomplished writer. If you look at his bio on Twitter at sportsology, he uh, has just completed a book on college hockey. And we'll want to talk to him about that in just a minute. Continuing with our Rush Tribute theme uh, this morning on the Vegas Hockey Podcast, we'll go ahead and bring in Russ. Russ, good day to you, sir. Hey, how are you? Uh, we're doing pretty good this morning. Pretty good. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. Good day for hockey, man. Good day for hockey. Bad day for Rush fans. But uh, with me yeah. and Chris, we're talking a little bit about that earlier uh, in the show. I'm going to throw all our all our theme music that we have from Rush out today. Uh Tough, tough day for Canadians and music fans in general, but um, let's jump right into it. I was looking at your bio this morning. You, it says, uh, recently finished a book on college hockey. What do you have in tap for us this time, sir? Yeah, it's called Sticks and Stones. It's going to have a, a, a bunch of – it's myself and Adam Woden, who um, who owns collegehockeynews.com, the best college hockey website on the planet. And uh, basically, we will um, – we did a bunch of profiles on some interesting players 
you know, guys like Jonathan Taves, guys like Quinn Hughes, guys like Caden Primo. There's no perfect theme for it other than, you know, college hockey can sort of prepare you for life. So there's some, you know, good moments in there from a lot of these where you could see where their careers really were accentuated by playing in college hockey. So, you know, it's it's important to uh, a lot of people. They, You know, most of them get an education. And there's some fun stories in there, even one celebrity, but you'll have to wait until you get the book for that one. All right, sounds good. Is, is, does it have a working title? Yeah, Sticks and Stones. Sticks and Stones, that's right. I wanted to make sure I had that in my brain correctly. Anyway, um, early in the season, we had a good conversation, I believe, with uh, Shiger. And uh, it was uh, kind of a compare and contrast between the Flyers and the Florida Panthers. And we, we, we thought that the Flyers were ready to take the step and, and, and become like a, at least a mid-tier contender in the East. And we thought that Coach Q in Florida would take a little bit to adjust to that, I think, drastic, in my opinion, a drastic culture change uh, for the Florida Panthers. The Flyers, I believe right now, are sitting in that – sitting in or just outside the wild card. Um, what's your take on the Flyers so far this season? Are, are we seeing the growth that we wanted to see out of this club? Well, I don't know. I mean, you could only get so much blood out of a stone. I mean, the the loss of Oscar Lindblom this year is huge. He was, he was having a great year. And um, as a side note, in case anybody does listen to the show, you happen to be a Flyers fan, if you're going down to the Xfinity Live 4.45 to 5.45, I'll be there with Amy Irvin. We've made up Oscar Strong bracelets. We're on our third, I think, our, yeah, I think our third batch of them. We don't charge anything. We're just trying to create awareness. And if you want to, if people want to give on their own to a cancer charity, that's great. But he's been visiting the team, and 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 that's good. His spirits are up. Apparently the uh, treatments are going okay. So we cross our fingers. And But that's, you know, that affected yeah. the team, the – uh, the Justin Braun injury now is kind of a killer because he hasn't been great, but their options after that are even less. I mean, it's no slight to Phil Myers. He's just not really ready in the NHL. Now, I, I think Daniel Friedman has helped solidify things a little bit on that third pair because he, he is a longtime AHLer and from the same, uh, almost the same age as Ivan Provorov. I scouted them in the same USHL tournament year and, um, I think he's done a decent job. So they're trying to sort of make up the difference on the third pair. Shane Gossespierre is out with a knee injury. I'm not sure anybody cares. It's not to be callous. I just think their play is better without him right now. And so, you know, this is the state of the team. I mean, the offense is good but not great. Should it be better? Could it be better? Yeah, I guess that's probably the poor part of the team where you look at and say it could be better. I mean, they, they're they're a point ahead of Florida. Uh you know they're still a bubble team because they're a bad road team. That's the other, the other thing that they have going against them. Right, and they are they are still a playoff team at at this point. Do you hear anything about yeah. them um, looking to pick up a couple pieces here as the trade deadline approaches? Well, I'm sure they're going to try and do something. A couple pieces might be too much because they're close to being capped out. The uh, the Chris Stewart signing really didn't help them in that regard. And he hasn't played much. I know he's a good influence, but you have to look at roster contribution, and that's not been good. Uh, okay. They're going to have to find salaries to match up. So they might be able to do one move. You know, I mean, that's 
If they do two, it's going to be in some sort of blockbuster deal because I don't see how else it's going to happen. Yeah, they are they are capped out. Um, uh, Chris wanted to get a little bit of talk on the Rangers as well. Where are they at with their mm-hmm. rebuild? Um, I think they're a little ahead of where where they were going a year ago. I mean, Artemi Panarin certainly helps that. Him and his twenty five goals. Having uh, a good year. D'Angelo's, yeah, Anthony D'Angelo has been great. He's on pace for about fifty points as a defenseman, and they're only paying him a little over a million bucks. And it's not because he never had the talent. I mean, I always backed him even when he, you know, going back to him being a first-round pick for Tampa. It's just for whatever reason, uh, he went from, you know, team to team, and people started doubting him a little bit, but the Rangers didn't. They found the, the right role for him, and and he's really learned a lot there and blossomed. So, you know, that's helped him. I, I think the uh, Mika Zivanejad keeps getting better. The Chris Kreider stuff's going to surface at some point where I think they're going to have to trade him because I don't think the Rangers are a playoff team. Their defense is not great. Uh, you know, Adam Fox has certainly had a good year. It's not his fault, and, and it's not D'Angelo's fault, but Mark Stahl is kind of long in the tooth, and they're probably going to have to buy him out next year. Brady Shea is starting to come around. He wasn't having the greatest year. Truba's having a good year, but then their defense gets light. Uh, Ryan Lindgren's been good. I mean, they got him in the trade from the Bruins, and – I always liked him as a uh, college player, and I think he's making the transition. But, again, it's another transition year, so that's where they're at. Well, with Lundqvist getting getting towards the end of his career, we just wanted to touch real quick, and I'm going to take a shot at the name Shesterkin. Um, Yeah. Is is he going to be the heir apparent there to uh, King Henry? Yeah, there's there's no question. He's the guy. It's not Georgiev, and obviously, you know, he'll be the one taking over for Lundqvist. But – it's a little bit of a messy situation right now because the other day um, when they brought him up, Lundqvist wasn't aware. Georgiev didn't know it was going to happen. So now they've got three guys on the roster. We all knew that that could happen and they might carry three for a while. It's not going to work forever, so hopefully they trade Georgiev by the deadline and, and free up that spot because that's, that's the best way to handle it. You don't want Georgiev there next year because Lundqvist isn't going anywhere. So – even though you might be able to sign him and keep him under contract, it's not really the best thing to do. Shesterkin is a, is a number one. He'll be a number one. He needs to grow into the league. He's looked good so far. He was number one in the KHL. So he'll be that guy. It might take him okay. another year or two because of Lundqvist in front of him. Hey, Russ, Chris here. Great to have you back on the show. So uh, before I jump into Thanks. the World Junior and get a sneak peek at the upcoming June draft from you, uh, Lou Lamorello, what do you intend? I mean, the Islanders are clearly short of forward, particularly a center, a third line center. Uh, there's a guy in Ottawa named Pajot who would be a perfect fit for them, although he wouldn't be uh, come at a cheap cost. Do you expect uh, Lou was quiet at last year's trade deadline, not from a lack of trying, but do you expect Lou to be aggressive with this team? Uh, where do you where do you think uh, how he handles it? I don't know how aggressive he's allowed to be, like how close he's allowed to take him to the cap. They're kind of close already. So he might have to look for net sum trades or one where he adds just a little bit. So I don't know if they're going to be able to get a great player or the kind of player they need to to solidify their scoring. Their defense might need help too. And I don't know if they're even going to be able to get that in from within with Sebastian Ajo. So I'm not sure how they're going to work it. I mean, something that could bolster the deal is if they – bungle the 
Sorokin matter and trade his rights, then they might be able to get more in a deal. If they feel like that's going to happen because Lou says he's going to have to spend time in the AHL and the guy doesn't want to spend time in the AHL, then maybe it's worthwhile to trade his rights, although he'll be better than any goalie they currently have. But that may not matter to Lou because, you know, Lou does things a certain way. So I I was at an Islanders watch party recently in the city. You know, I (laughs) fielded all the complaints. I get it. Uh, You have a great coaching staff. There's no question, but you are coming short on players. And right now that's fallen on Lou. And right now that started, if you want to say last deadline through the summer to now. So it's hard to say how aggressive he's really going to be. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch how that plays out with Sorokin. I mean, Thomas Grice is a USA, so there is a spot open on the, up on the roster. So, uh, well, for uh, us, for us, we say there's a spot. Lou may not tell the guy, "Hey, you could have the backup spot this year, and then you could fight for a llama for the next three years." He might not say that. He might say, "You're going to have to start in Bridgeport, and we'll see." And if he says that, Sorokin may sign a deal elsewhere. So, like right. that, you know. Again, Lou has used those kinds of tactics before, so I don't know if he's going to give him an automatic pass. Man, that's a, that's an interesting point. Uh, so the World Juniors, uh, what were your thoughts in terms of who's who stood out for you in terms of uh, excuse me in terms of uh, the 2020 upcoming uh, draft prospects and maybe any of the top prospects in the in, in the league uh, yet to make the NHL. Oh, what? Give me a guy or two or three that jumped out for you. Okay, I mean, obviously Alexis Lafreniere, injured or not, was one of the best players in the tournament, so that never was in question that he'd be number one. I thought Quentin Byfield was fine, so he he didn't hurt himself at number two anyhow. So I, I thought in that regard, those two, you know, did what they were supposed to do. I felt like Lucas Raymond really showed off some tremendous skill and 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 really great scoring ability, and I think he solidified, or at least on my list, he solidified himself as number three. Uh, Alexander Holtz, also for Sweden, was fantastic, and for me he has solidified a, a top-five spot because of the uh, the speed, the shot, all, all the little things that, that he can do. Jamie Drysdale, even though he may not have piled up points, started out at number seven defenseman for Canada and definitely got a lot of responsibility as the tournament went on. I thought he did himself well. I have him in my top five. We'll see if he stays there. But I, I thought he really uh, performed well and was a big reason why Canada won gold. I wasn't shocked that Canada won gold. I did pick him for that, but I picked the U.S. for, for silver and Russia for the bronze. So I was close. I had some Not of the teams. Bad. And in this tournament, you know, being close <laughs> is pretty good because, as you saw, it gets pretty turbulent. I think one of the biggest surprises, and I don't know if he'll stay in my list, is a guy named Christian Tanis who uh, – who's a center who's playing in Liga and played for Finland, and he got passed over in the draft, and, boy, this kid was terrific. And so, you know, I have him in the 20s, and, and that's a guy who I feel like really showed himself well, and maybe teams were kind of thinking, yeah, you know, we'll take him seventh round, sixth round, but now I think they're going to have to go much earlier with him based on what he did, unless all of a sudden he has a lousy year. So if he comes now out of, gang, out of this playing really well the rest of the season, you know, he could be a late first, early second. Well, what did you see out of the uh, Golden Knights prospect, Pavel Dorofeyev? I believe he got the game winner in overtime to put the Russians in the gold medal game against yeah, Canada. D- 
Zorofeyev was always good in the offensive zone. I felt like he was pretty safe, didn't have any bad turnovers. The speed was good. The passing ability was great. He's got great vision, the shots there. So Dorofeyev is an impressive guy, and, and there's no question he did well and was part of you know Team Russia's uh, success. You know, one guy who wasn't drafted but was signed, Yeager Zamula, was almost as good as Romanov. I know Romanov, everybody wants to talk about him, and I like talking about him, and the Canadians like talking about him, but the Flyers <laughs> signed him as a free agent, and, you know, he he ended up running the power play after a while. So he, he looked really good, had a great shot, really took up the puck up the ice well. Didn't have a million points, but but did have some important goals. Uh, so some of those guys did did really well. Askarov, I, I don't think he hurt his draft stock. I think he just he may have hurt his draft positioning in the sense that if a team was thinking about taking him top five or maybe top ten, maybe they're not going to do that now because he you know, may need a little more work than they realized. But I still think he's a top 15 or 20 goalie. And, again, in this day and age, and when you do have a strong draft, I'm not taking a goalie top five or ten anyhow. I, I really wouldn't. Unless, unless that guy is guaranteed to play in my lineup next year, I'm not doing it. So, Russ, before I hand you back to Mark, I, I mm-hmm. got to uh, ask you a little sneak peek on the June draft, and it's a, a quick three-part hit question, and that is, uh, how fluid is the top five looking right now for the draft? Uh, how deep is this first round of the draft? I've heard people talking about with the trade deadline, people are going to be reluctant, although Arizona did, to trade their first round pick because I've heard comparisons to the 2015 draft where we saw like guys like Bosner and Konecki go in a ladder third. And then how deep is this draft? So that's like rounds two through four. Not so much player, you know, you don't have to break down players, but, hey, you, you, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of good nuggets in those rounds, so those are valuable picks as well. How do you see those three things? Well, first thing that, that always gets me is I think the, you know, the 31 I have, and people can go to sportsology.com and see them, are very strong. So I feel like any of these 31 can play in the NHL in the future. Now, history will tell me probably one or two or three won't, but – I feel like they all can. So then I had trouble because there were definitely five to ten other guys that were no problem thinking that they could play in the first round, but I had to sort of see how they stacked up with these guys. So not everybody's a franchise player, obviously, but we're just talking about NHLers. So I think, you know, you go 45 deep, and I still think you're talking about NHL talent with, you know, not that much reaching. Now, you know, if you want to talk about – Franchise players, I, I think you're talking top three. And then if you want to talk about, you know, all-stars and really top-notch players, you know, then I think you're you're just about getting to 15 in this draft for that. So wow. and I think there might be, you know, a couple that might might not do that. But, but in the end, right now, when I'm just sort of looking at it, and I think there's a chance any of these top 15 could. So that's something where, you know, yeah, if I'm a team and I'm I'm looking to make the playoffs, if I if you're asking me for a first rounder, I'm making it 2021. If you're asking me, if you're giving me a great player, then I might do a conditional, but I'm also going to protect, you know, top 10 protect it and then say it's going to be for 2021 if I fall out of the playoffs and, you know, so that kind of thing. So, I think that that is affecting the uh the trade deadline for sure. And in a good way, because this this really will be a a solid draft. And I still think, even in my own list, 
I'll probably have two or three more. I know, look, I, I'm not like the guys on ESPN for the NFL <laughs> who will put out, like, version 15.0. That's never happened, but I think the most I've ever done is three, maybe four. I don't think I've ever done more than four. So could this year be a four? I don't know. But if things happen, that's what happens. I'm going on the road next week. I'm going to see a, a lot of guys. So that could change my mind, too. Hey, real quick before I let you go back to Mark, a, a couple of years ago, I remember the Sam Gerard draft. I asked you, is there a guy you love that's not getting enough love, kind of a late, late first rounder, maybe early to mid second? Do you have a Sam Gerard for this draft yet, or not too early to say? Well, no, I, I like the fact that you asked me if there's a Sam Gerard because that makes me feel good because this guy's a really good player. So it kind of <laughs> makes me feel like I'm smart, even though I'm not. Um, I'll go Danil Gushkin, who plays for the Muskegon uh, Lumberjacks in the USHL, a Russian kid with just a lot of skill. And, and I interviewed him. There's an interview on Elite Prospects that I did. I had an exclusive. And the what I like about him is, He's, he's a good skater, really could score or pass. He is just getting used to North America, so I feel like things will get better as he gets more comfortable with the area. Now, next year, I don't think he's going to go to a college. I think he's actually going to play somewhere professionally, wherever that might be. So that's what it seems. That's what he told me. So I think he's a good one to watch out for. Right now I've got him ranked 28th. But, yeah, that, that's for me, that's, that's my this year, Sam Gerard. Well, all right, we've been talking with Russ Cohen, owner of Sportsology.com, also a real accomplished writer. A lot of his stuff is really good. A uh, member of the Professional Writer Hockey, so the PWHA. I, I don't know, my brain's kind of whack. But uh, one more Sorry, time, um, you're going to be at the uh, at the XL Energy Center tonight giving out uh, – Xfinity Live. If I was at the XL uh, Energy Center, I'd have to hop a plane. Oh, but, okay. Go, it, go ahead and go through that again. Minnesota. <laughs> No, I'll be at the Xfinity Live from 445 to 545. That's over by the Wells Fargo. And we're going to be um, handing out bracelets and that say Oscar Strong and, and really just, you know, try and show our uh, appreciation for him and let him know that we're thinking about him. And I haven't taken mine off since. And we've had him almost since the uh, first announcement. We almost made it for that first game, but – as shipping will have it, we didn't. So then we were a couple of games later, and we started then. And, you know, like I said, we're into our third one. There are some people that helped us out with cost, and that's great. And so we'll keep it going as long as we can. All right. Well, uh, I, my mom just started her first cancer treatments yesterday, so I appreciate what you're doing as far as the Oscar Strong bracelets go. Well, we're, uh, it, I'll be thinking about her, too. Believe me. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Um, they got it pretty early. I think we're going to be okay with it, but uh, you know how sure. that stuff goes. Um, so thank you for doing that. Uh, I'm, I'm, any, anybody who's down there, go ahead and throw a few bucks in. Uh, I'm sure Russ will take care of it properly and uh, make sure it gets where it's no, supposed no, to go. No, no, we're not even going to take – I'm not going to ha- – I'm not handling the dime. You can, people can go do it on their own. It's great. Okay, good. But I'll shake their hand. It's fine. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, thanks for joining us again on the show today, and we'll talk to you down the road. All right, Mark. All right, Chris. Thanks. Thanks, Russ.
All right, and that was Russ Cohen on the Vegas Hockey Podcast once again doing a great job for us, Chris. Oh, absolutely, uh, Russ. Uh, uh, he knows the league inside and out. He's he's also, as good as he knows the league. He's he's the man to talk to when it comes to prospects, draft prospects, and he gave you a good insight there of you know how. I mean, if he, he's saying the top, basically for every team that doesn't make the playoffs, that is like he feels like the top 15 has a chance to be an all-star player. I mean, that's if I was a fan of a team uh, that looks like it's not going to make the playoffs, that's, you know, music uh, music to my oh, yeah. ears and, you know, and also kind of lines up with how good this draft is and, and um, you know, how valuable those first-round picks. And, and even what he alluded to about, like, kind of the top 45, uh, you know, if you're a team, like, we, you know, we bandy about, you know, a lot of times we talk about, oh, my God, they traded a first-round pick this team. But um, uh, we don't focus enough on, like, let's say second or third round picks where there's a lot of good players in, in those rounds as well. They just go under the radar. And like Vegas, we've talked about getting another defenseman, you know, maybe a Sammy Vatnin. And, you know, we're like, well, you know, hey, Vegas has three second round picks for this upcoming draft. And maybe they can, you know, uh, take one of those and sprinkle in, you know. But, you know, where is that second round pick? Is it going to be towards the latter? The second half of that second round, such as their own pick, I forget off the top of my head what teams they have, the other two picks. But if it's, let's say, a team that's uh, in the top uh, 10 of the second round, so we're talking about picks, you know, in the th- high 30s, around 40, you know, that's a, that's a, a kettle, you know, a fish of another kettle, if you will. Uh, so, um you know, all those things come into play with trade deadline and deals and things of that nature. So, uh, well, th- this year they out. have their own pick and Pittsburgh's. Yep. And then right, next so year in the 2021 draft, they have their pick, New Jersey's pick, and St. Louis's pick. Oh, And then okay. in the third round this yeah. year, th- yeah, they picked up uh, New Jersey's third rounder in the um, uh, whatever the Russian kid's name was uh, in, oh, in the deal. Yeah, and the Gusev deal. So they have they have an extra so second and an extra third. Oh yeah, that's a good pick, uh, especially after yeah, what that's Russ went. Yeah, that's gonna be um, <laughs> high third. You know, that's not like it, yeah. No, that's gonna be a low. You know, you're talking about that third round pick will probably be somewhere on the top five or six or seven, no worse than seven in the third round. Versus, uh, let's say it, if the Washington Capitals were to trade their own third round pick. Uh, theoretically, that could be at the very end of the third round. So there's, like I said, uh, you, you know, not, not all picks are the are the same, if you will. So, uh, uh, well, the other, the other thing to tie into that, Chris, yep. um, in the show notes, you were talking about uh, that the Vegas Golden Knights are actively shopping for a defenseman now. The, their stories stories being written around the league. Um, we we've already discussed the Sammy Fottenden from New Jersey, but you have Alex Martinez and Derek Forbort listed also. Um, are, are you hearing those names actively, or is that speculation from you? And would you throw uh, the Pittsburgh second-round pick out to pick one of those two players up? Yeah, I mean, I I, I would because Pittsburgh second-round pick. I mean, Pittsburgh, unless something really – I think they keep just winning. Jeez uh, Louise. But unless yeah. something happens, you know, they're going to be a playoff team. So you're, you're looking at – and they're going to finish with a pretty darn good record. So even if they were not to make the conference finals – you're looking a uh, second round pick from them is going to be the the latter third of that second round. Not that that is in value there, but um, you know, Fulbert's a free agent. 
a pending UFA, I don't know if that would go. He would garner, of course, a second, probably more like a third. Uh, Martinez is signed uh, for another year, and uh, after this, at, at four million, so that's a very reasonable number. He, his cost would be a lot more. Obviously, the Kings, as you know, are looking for the future and the big picture, um, and they're looking to get younger and looking to get future assets. So guys like that are very much going to be in play, especially Fulberg. Uh, even though that, I, I, you know, it's not like he's old or anything like that, but if there's going to be future value there, uh, you know, I, I would be surprised if they didn't move him. And also they could they could always re-sign him after the season is over. They could trade him, get the future asset, and re-sign him. Martinez, they don't have to move, but um, he's a guy who I think they'd be interested in. And, um, yeah, it would kind of make sense. Again, they're looking, they're looking for the future. So, uh, you, you know, if the right deal is there, you got to strike where the iron is hot. So, um, um, yeah, I, I see those. I kind of looked around the league of uh, teams who I thought were sellers and, and guys who can kind of help. And it's not a long list in terms of defensemen, quite honestly, in terms of teams that are selling. Um, yeah. Like uh, another guy could be uh, Dylan DeMaio in Ottawa. Uh, you want to throw in there. And, and again, some of these guys you, you, you like better than others, but also what that's going to mean, since it's not a long list of defensemen, um, you know that means the price won't be cheap because everyone's always looking for defense. Um, so, um, you know, for instance, the Islanders were very strong on defense, strong in the blue line. As Russ alluded to, they lost Adam Pellick, uh for the rest of the, probably the rest of the season, at least for the rest of the regular season. They, uh, they're going with Noah Dobson, who's been good, but they I think have four right-handed defensemen right now. So if they wanted to, you know, do they look to, uh, you know, you know, add a guy there? He mentioned the Flyers before being short, and in their case, really being short. So the price, if you go back and look at previous recent trade deadlines, uh, you know, you even look at for the solid, you know, the Ron Hainseys of the world, they're usually involving third and, and, and in some cases, second-round picks. So these guys aren't cheap to get. Uh, uh, so that's, you know, Brendan Smith from Detroit, as an example, would be another one. Uh, these guys aren't cheap, uh, cheap to get, uh, even if they're not all-star players. So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, for sure. And going, going on now, we're going to take a quick look around the league. Um, uh, Tampa's on fire. Uh, oh, Columbus on fire. Finally. Montreal in the dumpster. Uh, Nashville and San Jose treading water, starting to trend upward. Uh, where do you want to start? Yeah, I guess you know we've been waiting all season for Tampa to hit a streak, yep. and they finally have. And now all of a sudden, you look and they're uh, in second place in the division, and uh, you know with still a couple of games at hand on most of the teams in the division, and uh, you know they could wind up. Uh, uh, you know, having a very comfortable road, at least finishing in the top two, and clearly they can, you know, still in position to challenge um, for the one spot, which would mean home ice at least for the first two rounds. So, finally, things have finally clicked in Tampa. It took longer than I expected, but uh, and they've won. I think I think they've won nine in a row. Yeah, it did take longer than expected. You start to wonder if it was ever going to happen. Um, they are obviously playing much better. When I looked down in the middle of the week and they had uh, flown up the standings, I was, I was a little bit, 
I guess I hadn't been paying attention. Um, but there, there they are, just, just jumped past Toronto um, and making a charge at Boston. So kind of where we expected them to be. We didn't expect them to get this path to get there. Um, it's, keep on keeping on. Uh, plus 33 goal differential. That's changed dramatically in the last 10 games. Um so uh, keep on keeping on if you're if you're Tampa Bay. They're, they're on fire uh, as well as, you know, the, it's odd to say probably the second hottest team in the National Hockey League has been Columbus um, starting today two points out of the, the playoff spot. When we were talking about the Philadelphia-Florida matchup, both being that bubble number two wildcard team, that certainly came to fruition here. Um, Philly 52 points in the two spot. Uh, Florida one point out of the two spot. We didn't expect, uh, at least I didn't expect Columbus to be one point behind Florida. You know, uh, they both Florida and Philly have a game in hand against uh, Columbus, but even so uh, overperforming expectations in the last 15, 20 games for sure. Yeah. I thought Columbus was going to be a competitive team. I mean, that's kind of the mantra of Tortorello's teams. Uh, you know, obviously the, the the team was you have Wierenski and, and Seth Jones, where really uh, the foundation stones. You have a number of good good forwards, maybe not uh, great like Panarin, but good forwards like Cam Atkinson, uh, kind of leading leading the way. But you felt like, okay, well, I don't know if they have enough scoring. I don't know if they're going to be deep enough. And then the goalie questions, right? They neither guy that they had going in had ever been a true number one. So. Uh, and then, you know, in, it turns out, a pretty darn uh, division playing uh, better than people even expected. But uh, going in, people thought it was a competitive division. So, um, yeah, kudos to them. I don't, like I said, it is pretty amazing uh, how they're doing how they're doing it. And uh, there it looks like they're going to be, you know, they're battling. And they're going to be battling for, for one of those wild card spots. And the way the Metro is, I mean, uh, you, you can't take a night off if you're any of these teams. Um, you know, the separation between Columbus and, and let's say, the Islanders and Pittsburgh is not that great. So, um, yeah, I, I, like I said, right now, uh, i got to say that uh, Tortorella is a finalist for uh, Jack Adams, at least in my book he is. Yeah, i got to go with you on that for sure. To, to I mean, to, just to look at the division standings, they're in sixth place uh, in the Metro, and – you know, two points out of a playoff spot, uh, fighting uh, Carolina and Philly, holding down the two wild card spots, uh, and five points clear of uh, the next closest wild card contender, which would be Buffalo at 45. Um, that Buffalo has a game in hand, but I don't think that's going to matter. Um, Buffalo fading, also uh, Mont- Montreal. I-, I don't know what's going on. They're stuck down on 43 points. Um, is Montreal cooked? Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, this next, the rest of the month to early February, if they are, you know, are, or if they really fade back, um, will they, um, you know, listen on a couple of their, you know, veteran players such as a Jeff Petrie or a Thomas Tatar and uh, say, look, this team's about building for the future. I've seen rumors or in the rumor mill people talking about, Shea Weber or or uh, Carey Price, those kind of deals don't happen in season due to the salary cap and their cap numbers. But maybe it's a Tar, maybe a Petrie, and in a, they you know they don't have to trade those players. 
Not that they, you know, basically uh, the only way they'll move them is a king's king's ransom, but uh, they'll be in a position to say, hey, look, there's not a lot of good defensemen, there's not a lot of good scoring forwards out there, and they could do well, and if they do well enough, it wouldn't shock me, because, uh, again, you have to look at where you're at as a franchise, and not that they're far, far away, but if they're like, look, you know, it's one thing, you know, the first thing, the first step is becoming a playoff team, uh, you know, every season, if you're strong enough to do that. The second thing is, then the next step, the next step, which is even more, much more difficult, is becoming a contender. So, in the in the conference. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, where does that, where does Montreal feel they are from that step, from that second step? They feel like, you know, they're a couple of years away, and you're looking at Tatar and Petrie, and you say, well, you know, those guys. I don't know if they're going to be on the team in two years. So, and I can and I can do really well right now for them uh, in terms of trade value. Uh, those these are the things that uh, an NHL general manager will have to juggle, juggle and evaluate, you know. And uh, you know, it's the old expression: sell high, buy low. So, you know, th- those are all things going on right now. All right, and then uh, we'll wrap things up. Nashville, uh, finally, Nashville and the Sharks. I was surprised when I looked down, and the Sharks were only. Ten points, yep. Ten points back of first place in the division. Now they got to go over Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, and Arizona to get there. But um, starting to play better hockey in San Jose. When you have to climb that amount of teams, oh, it's tough. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna have to you're gonna have to put a real strong uh, month of hockey just to get, you know right back into the mix because we talked about this, I think, on Wednesday show with all the overtime games now that go on. So even when another team you're chasing loses, if it goes to overtime, they still get half a loaf. So, and even if you win, that's only picking up one point, you know. So there's a lot of work to be done. Obviously, uh, the injury to Logan Couturier is is big. Um, They need need a big month of hockey. I mean, they need a – you know, they need a – you know, the next, like, 20 games or the next 15 games, they need a, you know, 11-3-1 streak kind of thing to kind of to kind of get back into uh, the mix, to gain ground, uh, uh, to make that 10 points out uh, more like th- two or three points out. So um, yeah. this, this is a critical time for both San Jose and Nashville uh, in that in that regard. So, uh the next month will be very telling of where they're at for those two franchises. Well, uh, to get back into the third slot in the Pacific, they they are nine points point, back. Right? Nine, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine points to get to three. Um, to get to the number two wild card spot, they're eight points back. And then you're not only passing your Pacific Division brethren – but then now you sprinkle in the the refuse of the central with Chicago, Minnesota, and Nashville all bunched up in front of you to get to that number two spot. Um, it's a lot of work to be done in Chicago. Meanwhile, Nashville, um, forty seven points, two games in hand on Winnipeg, and which would let's face it, Nashville isn't going to get back into the top three. I don't think. Uh, St. Louis, Dallas, and, and Colorado. Dallas has found their stride. Uh, rising Dallas stars. Um, 
Colorado sitting pretty at 55 points, but Nashville is going to make noise um, with the wild card position. They're only, like I said, five points back, two games in hand, and only Vancouver between them and Winnipeg. Yeah, and that would be something, too. If the Nashville can right the ship, get playing like Nashville again, wind up securing uh, one of those wild card spots. Oh, by the way, either the team that wins the Central or the team that wins the Pacific, something to throw out like, uh, food for thought in terms of Vegas. Oh, so what's your reward for winning the division? Oh, we got the Nashville Predators in the first round of the playoffs. And guess what? We got the better version of them uh, going in if that's how it plays out. So, right. um, you know, the, the, you know, uh, you know, to me, the West is is pretty wide open uh, in, in terms of the big picture and who's going to represent them. I think most people in the East are going to say, you know, obviously Boston and Tampa and Washington, um, you know, probably, you know, not in that order. Probably, you know, that will come off the tip of their tongues. <clears throat> so we'll see if someone, if there's a team in there that can surprise to get to, to the conference finals, uh, other than those three, such as Carolina was last year. But, um I mean, to me, the West is is really, really wide open. You no, know, no, I agree. Um, you look, I mean, you look at the top, and and then from there down, um, it, it could be anybody's ball game. We've seen teams win the Stanley Cup out of the eighth seed before, out of the West. Um, it might be that kind of a year, depending, like you said, if Nashville just gets on, gets hot now, and um, they they get in in the seven, eight, eight seed. That's going to be someone no one wants to play, right? And this old thing, oh, no one wants to play them. Nashville could be this year's version of that. And it'll be a uh, final point for me. It would be interesting to see, given those givens, will there be a team or two in the West that is ultra aggressive at the trade deadline to get, you know, uh, some to get a um, a Palmieri or a Pajot or a Vatnin or who you know whoever's the 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 upper echelon talent that's going to be moved at the deadline, will someone say, hey, you know, we can get to the Stanley Cup Finals uh, this year, so we had this piece, um, you know, that can happen. So uh, I, I, you can make an argument, maybe a Western Conference team will be willing to roll the dice like that. Yep, for sure. Let me get in a plug for the Hockey Podcast Network here. Make sure everybody goes on Twitter to follow at HockeyPodNet. Um, they have... 32 high quality or 31 high quality NHL podcasts and us um, on on their site, thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. If you're looking to find out information about some of the other teams and that maybe you don't follow, but you're interested in, this is the first place you should go and it'll be the last place you stop. Uh, thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Follow them on Twitter at hockeypodnet. So, sir, what do we have on tap? Uh, we're going to do a Wednesday midweek report. Yep. Uh, we'll be starting the road trip for the Vegas Golden Knights, and then next Saturday, we got anything going down? Uh, work in progress. Got to uh, think of uh, who would be a good guest, who's, and we'll, we'll we'll figure something out over the next uh, by mid by. We should have an update for that by Wednesday. Okay. Well, everybody, tune into our Wednesday show, three thirty Pacific, six thirty Eastern, and. Uh, we're going to take you out with a little bit more rush uh, closer to the heart for Chris on Mark and we're gone.
unfolds a new reality, closer to the heart, closer to the heart. Oh, close 